Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is podcast, the comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for joining us today. We have a great chat with Brian James O'Connell, a.k.a. BOC. It's his fourth time appearing on the podcast officially. He did send a little congrats over when we had our seven-year anniversary, but officially this is his fourth time, and we have a really great chat about all things improv, including his all-improv guide and a cool tour that he's doing. We talk about that at the end. Let's get right to it. Here's my chat with BOC. And that's the secret to improv. Have we started? <laughs> uh, <laughs> How are things there? Uh, tell me good things about your life, sir. Well, I'm enjoying happening. it. Um, I'm uh, I perform every Wednesday and Friday now at the Magnet, which mm. is exciting and I'm very happy about. Um, so I'm enjoying that. You know, it's a grind. It's a grind. Mm-hmm. Looking, trying to get you know the you know the biz. So it's just like grinding out, trying to like get myself out there in different ways, and yeah, you know. I want to get, I would love to have uh, some voiceover clients so I can uh, <laughs> like do that from, do that work from home. Yeah. I had this, uh, we did the second season of our TV show of our animated show remotely. Cause it was during the pandemic when it first started. So I've got a pro rig that NBC universal just bought me. Cause they're like, you keep, it's a gift for the cat. I'm like, no, you don't want my cooties. I get it <laughs> uh, before we understood the disease. And if you could disinfect things or all that. So I'm like, I'm right here. Like, uh, I'm in between uh, representation right now. Yeah. But the, the last one I had, they're like, Hey, is there any way you think you, I know it's last minute. Is there any way you can turn this around by noon tomorrow? And I was like, I can have it to you in an hour. They're like, what? I'm like, yeah, everything's set up. <laughs> they just have to walk into this closet, read the copy, and then I have an editing degree. You'll have it. It's, it's, give, give me all of them. All of them. Yeah. Please. Well, you know, yeah, I guess it's we're, this is episode 330-something. Yes. And yes. you are the first guest to do not only three episodes, but four, um, yeah. like, proper episodes. You know, like, you know, fiance of the show has obviously been on a lot, but, you know, she was a mm-hmm. proper guest once. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very humbled and flattered it's always it's always uh uh it's always an honorific when someone wants to hear me talk about improv or comedy but uh you've been very charitable to me and i appreciate that and so it's like yeah you want to come on again i was like it's four times do you does anybody want to hear my voice again am i doing good numbers at least i love talking to you about comedy and about like uh, you're Same. one of my favorite people thank you i appreciate that you're one of my favorite people to watch do improv and uh talk to about improv so same i i think a lot of that is because we sort of come from the same place as the, uh trying to give back like that mm-hmm. newsletter you do is uh, uh, invaluable i can't believe i'm getting it for free every week <laughs> but then also i'm like also i'm the guy that gives out a you know a 300 yeah. page book for free <laughs> that new the new youtube playlist yeah yeah <clears throat> yeah the new youtube playlist i have uh, all improv plus 
It's got like over 1,200 videos now. Partially that started because I was like, there's got to be a way I can get the book down. I was like, oh, you've got all these YouTube links in there. Like, just they have playlists. Make a playlist. I was like, all right. And then as I got, as I started going through my hyperlinks that I've all tabbed in, in Google Chrome, I'm just like, oh, what have I done? I've done it to myself again. <laughs> now now I have so two much unwieldy work. monsters. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so I think we both come we both yeah. come from the same place uh, of trying to, like, help people and give back to the thing we did. So it's I think it's obvious then that why we vibe. That I totally agree. Yeah. And we want to support. That's like, you know, one of the bedrock principles of improv. Mm -hmm. and I think we take it to heart. Let's talk Incur about the all improv beast yeah. that you have now. Like, so obviously the impetus behind it was to to give. But for people who don't mm -hmm. know. Uh, can you say specifically lay out like what what the book was and then what the YouTube became? Yeah, originally I was teaching classes at Miles Stroth Workshop, now known as the Pack Theater. Uh, I've always been sort of the idea of like you know try and give the students as much bang for their buck as possible. They have a lot of they had a lot of options of who to study with and where, and I wanted to make sure that I, I felt like their time and their money and their talent was being valued. Mm -hmm. certainly early on um we would do trades for stuff so there were certain people that couldn't afford to take the class or weren't in the volunteer program or intern or work study or whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. and it was like is there any way and i was like yeah it's my class i get to make the, the choices of who takes it for what um and so i had you know i would have one person do like well i was like what what can you do and one person was like oh i did dramaturg in, in college and i was like all right well there's a movie i'm working on that has a lot of research here go do this thing for me uh, and oh, then there cool. was another person. Yeah, there was another person who was like, well, my day job is transcription. And I was like, okay, take the classes uh, and transcribe what I'm saying and give it back to me. And maybe that'll be something I can use for the class. You know, have it all sort of broken down that way, but also like give it out. You know, I was like, extemporaneous notes are always important, especially when mm -hmm. people taking their own personalized notes. But I, I recognize that I talk fast, and I move fast, and I throw a ton of information at people. So to have like a handout at the end, uh, after week eight of like, and here's stuff like if you didn't capture it, you know, uh, it'll be in here. And then slowly but surely, I just started adding more to it and making it more like a proper sort of like, hey, you know, the first thing you did is you signed up for class. And that's the important thing. It's just mm -hmm. sort of we're all standing on the shoulders of giants. So I was like, well, let me get this stuff in here as I remember it of what was important to me and what was helpful to me. And so that I can pass that on, but also like be able to give people their flowers. Mm -hmm. uh, and it and it just kept expanding, expanding to the point now where I, <laughs> I, um, every year at Memorial Day weekend, which is when we have Camp Improvutopia West, uh, our West Coast camp up in San Luis Obispo, uh, Cambria. I uh, it, the camp pretty much runs itself at this point, and so while everyone's in class in workshops, mm -hmm. I'll sit uh, and go through and you know go through polish it make sure all the links work uh if they don't then if they're broken then i find a new example a version of that and i try to add one to two sections every um every year and that's where it just keeps getting bigger and bigger so now it's like <laughs> 286 pages and like 2100 plus hyperlinks and i add to those hyperlinks every year because throughout the year i'm just finding stuff that is improv or improv adjacent and then going in so that's why i did the that's why i did the uh playlist as well to try and just get it down to manageable i'm in for a, a beast of time this is 
this next update is going to be like five. It's going to be like 500 pages when it's all said and done. I'm not oh, looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, when I, you I, did the YouTube, did you I, also put ex, uh, like descriptions of your own in there so people can follow what you were learning from it? Or are you, are you like, hey, watch this. What you get from it is what you get from it. Uh, both. Um, I'll put, some, there's lots of Ted talks in there for sure. Cause you know, especially Ted talk X's, which are the local ones. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll put in stuff there for not only shows that I've done that I've been proud of, but like, I've been thinking of myself over the last few years as more, less and less of a teacher and more and more of a librarian. Oh, interesting. That, yeah. The idea of like, what are you looking for? Cool. Ah, you want, Join me in this section. Now, here's the book that helped me, but there's like nine books about that. You know, what right. are you looking for? Ooh, that's some old school history. Let's go down to the basement. Let's bust out the microfiche. Mm -hmm. So there's there's stuff in there uh, that's like that. But also, I'm I'm right now trying to do a big thing where I'm trying to document and keep my finger on the pulse of all the different improv theaters and and local troops around the globe so i try and pick and choose either shows that i've watched from those theaters and that i think are good or i'll find them find their youtube page and whatever they have like sort of pinned at the top mm -hmm. of what they think is most representative of them they'll have that some of that is lessons some of it is shows some of it is mm -hmm. just their promotional materials so you can show other people like hey this is the two minute you know, commercial they made for their improv theater and it seems to work for them. Maybe you can try something at your place and just, you know, a high tide raises all ships. Right. That's kind of the approach I'm going for right now. Yeah. I've, I've, I'm curious about something mm -hmm. and like you're, Please. I'm curious about this take that you might have on this. Um, so, Oh boy. We're since... going right into it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, well, I, don't, I shouldn't say it like a take. What's your take? What's your hot take? Yeah. But, hot takes. <laughs> but, we have uh, that reminds me of JJ Reddick's <laughs> like a uh, newsletter. Uh, no more hot takes. But um, yeah. <laughs> we're Carol. We're we're people from the Carolinas. We we know who JJ Reddick is. Uh, it's uh, it's it's it is a testament of how much a, a good person, a good great basketball mind he is. That he is sort of top five most hated Duke people of all time. And I'm still like, nope, love that guy. I'm still mad that the 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 Orlando Magic matched the offer the bulls made for him when he was a restricted free agent just so he could continue to sit on his bench and even then i was like i'd have four duke players <laughs> in the starting team like it would be duhan dang jj reddick and carlo Puzo. what am i doing i'm a wake forest guy i'm named after brian piccolo for christ's sakes but yes please <laughs> I, I mean i love the duke talk i'll have to tell my brother about it but <laughs> so what i wanted to know is i think because of the exposure of different schools of thought and, you know, and all yeah. these different books out there. And then with the pandemic, people going online with teaching classes, people can be uh -huh. and learn from all over the place that I, I feel like now more than ever improv is maybe becoming a little more homogenized where it's not as much like, there's this school of thought here, and it's very clear if you go to that theater and you, you'll see specifically that. Sure. If you go to this other theater, you see specifically their thing. I don't think that's mm -hmm. as clear anymore. Because, like, here in New York, there like a lot of people, mm -hmm. are, a lot of magnet people are at UCB. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, you know, 
there's all this stuff happening. Everyone's being influenced by everyone. And so it, it feels like there's becoming just like, what is good improv as opposed to what people do where they still try to talk about it? Like, well, my school of thought from right. such and such theater, I feel like that's harder to do now. Interesting. That's an interesting take on it. I think part of that is you and I have to remember that we're in one of the big three markets, New York, LA, Chicago. Right. You could actually make the argument that it's really like a big six or big seven now. San Francisco, yeah. Portland, Austin, yeah. I think all have claims to being uh, big improv markets. And as Alex Fernie, uh, who's, who's part of Convoy, he's a UCB guy out here. He put it best to me once that... Um, that uh, the Los Angeles market is the only, and New York and Chicago to a certain extent, to be certain. He goes, but the Los Angeles market is the only improv scene where you leave your improv scene to come to it, right? <laughs> so everyone's bringing those sort of things. I think with the way that online, and I teach a lot of online, I'm on the board of directors now of a uh, theater in Baltimore called Highwire Improv that started during the pandemic as an online exclusive theater and now does hybrid it does live shows as well mm -hmm. so i definitely believe in the idea of people having access via zoom but i feel i still feel like having access to that information having access to that teaching it's still like cuisine it's still you're going to make your beans and rice different in this place than i'm going to make my beans and rice right i still and i travel a lot so much now and see these different places we have a sort of like the same language because of that mm -hmm. uh, the people being uh never being more able to access that information but like when what they're doing at kickstand uh in portland is different than what curious comedy is doing in portland it's different than what they're doing at front porch improv in savannah georgia i went mm -hmm. there and they were doing they they, they were doing a mid-form show which i hadn't been in a mid-form show in like 20 years you know it's <laughs> like oh yeah we have two we have an intermission we have two blocks There'll be some short form games, but there are also some like mini long form pieces. Well, they'll do a little bit of an Armando. They'll do a little bit of montage, but they'll also do they'll also do four squares. You know, they'll do reverse. You know, they'll do repeats. Interesting. Uh, that kind of stuff. The most interesting work I seem to find is happening place. And like I put them over in every podcast I do. But uh, a pawn takes queen, which is a trio. Uh, TJ and Wendy Penrod and Rev McLean out of Cedar City, Utah, the uh, the OTC guys off the cuff comedy, uh -huh. just celebrated their 20 year anniversary. They've been able to make it go of it there. Nice. I, I, I would put them up against if you put them on the same bill as like TJ and Dave or Beer Shark Mice or anything, they would not suit messing at a friend. They would not embarrass themselves. Yeah, I think that's the best work that's happened there. I saw a lot of great work happening, especially with um, Justin and Kelly and what they're doing. In uh, in in Countdown Festival, the Countdown Festival mm -hmm. that they do in uh, yeah, in Tampa. Just, uh, is about yeah, and to then have, uh, submissions yeah. open to that festival. Yeah. yeah, and then I just went and taught in Poland and uh, Dublin, a mm -hmm. up uh, Krakow in in Dublin, in Ireland, and what they're doing there, there's not like there was a lot of sort of like UCBS sort of stuff, but also again, just because of the cultural, yeah, um, yeah. baked baked into the soil. So I see some of those American things, but uh, for the most part, they're doing it all in Polish, which is even better. <laughs> and then I went, I went to Ireland, and what Neil Curran and those guys have put together there, so unique. I saw groups from all over. I saw groups from Greece. I saw a lot. Of, the whole bill was really interesting. There wasn't any just like, and hey, we're doing a montage kind of thing. Uh, we had like one all-star show that I sat in where we kind of did that. 
I saw a two-person show, one woman from New York, another person, um, I believe he was from Spain. Don't hold me to that. They did a, uh, it was called Tangled, and they did a tango improv show where they did sort of, uh, she spoke very, she spoke no Spanish, he spoke very little English. And so their their interstitials, their edits were tangos with music, beautiful <laughs> dancing, and then sort of like old school, big mime type of scenes. Like, I think during their show, I cried like four times, wow. partly because it was so beautiful, and also partly I was like, "This is what the art form is capable of." Right? <laughs> yeah. So I, 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 I do see that there is a lot of people having access to that information and and seeing it, but I don't think we have to worry about homogenization. The, <laughs> okay, the place where we have to worry about homogenization, and I think about this constantly, is that I'm waiting for like, where's the new deconstruction? Where's the next JTS mm. Brown? Where's the next Armando Diaz? I'm not seeing a lot of innovation. The improvised movie, Three Mad Rituals. I'm not seeing a lot of mm-hmm. innovation for that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those forms are coming up on like 30 years old now. Yeah. My great, my greatest concern, someone, I bummed them out so hard. Someone, we were in line at, uh, we were in line for lunch at Camp Improv Utopia. That takes a while. There's a lot of people in line. Mm-hmm. And so randomly just one student, uh, one, one camper was like, oh, we, uh, what's you know what's your greatest fear in improv you know like just trying to make conversation uh-huh. uh and they're like oh I'm, I'm worried that i'm like i'm not going to take care of my partner i'm going to steamroll like all these little things they're like what about you boc and i'm like my concern is that we the participants and the purveyors of this art form are going to not work hard enough to push it forward that we will eventually become a permanent niche art form like Dixieland jazz, where you're only playing to an audience full of clarinet players. That is my number one fear and nightmare. And you could just see their face drop. I was like, I'm sorry to bum you out. <laughs> but, like, but that's, that's true. I'm not seeing it. And I wish I saw more of it. Mm. There's a lot of great theaters doing a lot of great work, but I'm also saying like, this is still a, a fairly young art form. And I don't see the the new takes. I feel like every year there's a new form of music that comes out, <laughs> yeah. but not improv, right? Uh, we didn't we didn't have trap house. We didn't have we didn't have witch trap five <laughs> years ago, and now I can I can listen to five hours in a row of it, right? It's that's it's a good concerns. point, and I hadn't thought of. But this is why I wanted to ask you about my that that yeah. idea because i know you're traveling all over the world doing and teaching improv and seeing so much improv so i was like what is what is going on and i think you hit the nail on the head that it's people are not trying to innovate they are trying to do this thing they saw and they replicate still, yeah i think that's what it is yeah i usually liken it to there are two types of shakespeare shows in the world one where they're trying to do it exactly beat for beat they're trying to replicate and recreate exactly the way it was at the globe theater stratford and avon like like you were there and then there's other ones where it's like yeah it's hamlet but it's a fortune 500 company it's uh <laughs> it's uh it's julius caesar but it's set in 1930 chicago we're gonna rent out a we're gonna rent out an italian restaurant we're gonna do it in the basement so we get all the brick there and, and that kind of stuff i'm just not seeing a lot of and I, I think part of it too is that there's so many people that are they're trying to do it exactly the way that they see your teachers do it. They go, okay, mm-hmm. that must be it. 
it's like John Crowley put it best once. He goes, the the he goes, the biggest problem with Herald players is that they've seen too many Heralds. Mm-hmm. And they think that's what's the way to do it now, right? An organic opening doesn't mean you do one of these five openings, right? It's that's not what the word organic means. <laughs> uh, and so, oh, that's such a good point. <laughs> yeah. Literally not the definition of the word. And then I'm <laughs> I'm starting to be concerned that there's partly that. Partly it comes from that, but also partly like we have a real problem, I think, with purity tests in oh, our in our art form where people are like, yeah. I just want to do improv for improv sake, or I don't want to do a gimmick show, or I mean, you are you embarrassed of the word improv? And I'm like that kind of stuff. I'm like, <laughs> I, I I don't know, man. Like I put, I just added in the all improv book this last year, I added a whole section where I sort of addressed that for a minute. And I was like, Hey, allow me to go on this journey. I'm giving you this book, this 300 page book for free. And you can give me the next two paragraphs. Right. <laughs> and so my, my argument was like, you take something like pro wrestling, which has a lot of, I think a lot of overlap with mm-hmm. what we do. And that's why so many improvisers are into pro wrestling and why so many pro wrestlers uh, do improv. And I've yeah. met a ton of them. Yeah. Um, you when people say, "Well, I want to do improv for improv sake. I don't want to do a gimmick." Well, a gimmick is literally what you do in wrestling to get over. It's your character. It's what you mm-hmm. look like. What you mm-hmm. do. So, Macho Man Randy Savage mm-hmm. is one of the greatest gimmicks mm-hmm. in the history of pro wrestling. It's what you think of when you think of a wrestler. It's what you do yeah. when you try and do a wrestler. You're not doing Hulk Hogan. You're not doing. Steve you, are doing like, Sa- you are doing Randy Savage. You are every single Savage. time you see anyone act out. It's that character. Yeah. yeah. Let me tell you something. And when we told it, like, it's all, I'm like, you're doing Macho Man Randy Savage, who's a lot of guys have done that over the years, but he sort of distilled it. And yeah. it's culturally relevant. Snap into a Slim Jim. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, he was in, he was in Spider Man when they had to cast uh, you know, a, wrestler. A, a wrestler for, for Toby Maguire to fight. They cast Macho Man Randy Savage because that's sort of the avatar of wrestling. But also, when you talk to a lot of people that are really, students of the craft of uh, pro wrestling the history mm-hmm. of it when they talk about the greatest matches in the world when they talk about specifically american matches ricky the dragon steamboat versus macho man randy savage wrestlemania 3 intercontinental title a lot of people talk about that as arguably if not one of if not the best ever technical match like that's what you want to watch if you want to be good at wrestling so i'm like they don't have to be mutually exclusive Pretty big gimmick, really got over. Also, wildly respected and revered by his peers and students and learners of the craft and yeah. historians. Yeah. So when I hear people say, well, I don't want to do a gimmick show, I'm like, well, do you just not want asses and seats? Because that's really all you're depriving yourself of. <laughs> and pure and, and keeping purity for who? We're making this all up. Mm-hmm. You just made up this rule of I just want to do improv for improv's sake. Who said that? Who said that first? <laughs> did Rosowski say that and I missed it? Like I don't I did, did Jonathan Pitts like write that somewhere on a tablet and then hang it up in the in the improv supreme courthouse that doesn't exist? What are you talking about? Right. I just want I just want people to see the shows and I want my friends to be able to have large houses mm-hmm. and to pay off their mortgages and and keep their theaters alive. What are we doing? Right. So that's my that's a hot take I normally have. It doesn't make me popular. <laughs> but, you know, another thing that I feel like maybe falls into the camp of uh, pu- the purity of it is a slightly different thing. But I I, I love the person who said it, <laughs> who said this to us. But a, a team I was on, we did a Herald, and it was their first time 
coaching or, or, or sitting in and they were like okay not a you know traditional way to to go about you know or there's like some some sort of line mm-hmm. like that of like as of the traditional way to do a herald scene or a herald group game and it's mm-hmm. like what is the traditional way because what i have seen from ucb's pretty old school but not as old school as io and i've seen different oh, sure. approaches i've seen different things mm-hmm. about how how to do it like what are you referring to exactly because there's so many iterations of this. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it makes me think of two things. Normal, first of all, specifically as a one to one comparison, I always refer to the Herald as the three minute pop song. When it's mm. done well, it is transcendent, it's mm-hmm. historical, it lasts forever. Mm-hmm. People will constantly refer to it on that, but also it can, it can evolve and change. When the Beatles started out, it was Love Me Do. By the time it was done, it was The Long and Winding Road. Those are both three-minute pop songs. But, like, it's very it, different. You know, it's very different. So if 10 years later they were still doing Love Me Do, I'd be like, guys. Oh, exactly. Why? Also, when things evolve, taste evolves, things have become mm-hmm. more open and evolved. I always like to, yeah, when people say that, I'm like, you know the reason why there's a lot of people in the world who absolutely cannot stand banana flavored candy. <laughs> it's because the varietal of banana that that candy was based on a hundred years ago, no longer exists. Oh, that's a good point. Out. So there, there that, I, do hate of different, <laughs> I do hate yeah, artificial banana There used flavor. to be hundreds of different varietals of bananas. And now there's like, I think six. <laughs> and so when people taste it, just like cilantro tastes like, you know, toothpaste to certain people people. but this is more of a mental thing when people put banana candy in their mouth and they're immediately repulsed by it is because it doesn't taste like what they understand to be bananas right so (laughs) trying to do a herald the same way that they did it when it was the committee back in san francisco where it was 90 minutes long (laughs) and there were eight minutes we don't do that now so like miss me with this bullshit of traditional like (laughs) i don't know man howard hessman's up there in years i don't think he's doing the herald the same way anymore <laughs> yeah I, that's the they thing to, like it's i've got old footage yeah i've got old footage of second city when it was still black and white television they did like a special <laughs> in chicago and like before each improvised scene dell would come out and explain what the scene was gonna be and i don't mean like we're going to do they don't have any lines he wasn't like breaking down the format and he was like we were discussing what would happen if a young married couple went to the south but one of them was like, they just laying out and then they were going to improvise it. So when I hear people now, like, I don't want to do a gimmick show and I just want to do free form. I was like, buddy, they, they used to tell you right out front, Hey, this is a thing that we talk about ahead of time, but now we're going to make it up. Go right. Like, <laughs> miss me with this stuff. Man. Yeah. It's... What, are you, what are you innovating? <laughs> right. I want it to evolve, but not by going back necessarily. Like sometimes I like to go back and with like, you could go back to the basics mm-hmm. and so, like maybe sometimes going back to like an old school approach or thought on it can help open things up for you in a new way, but it still yeah. has to be a new way. It can't be, well, how did they do it? Let me try to do it. Like, forget everything I've learned. Let me just try to do it the traditional way. I feel like you're not doing yourself any justice when you yeah. are just trying to copy what you think they meant. When you could yeah. say, what was the principle behind it and how can I adapt it to now? 
hundred percent. I have these same, like, you know, I've been to, I'm, I have a wide eclectic taste, but I do like listen to a lot of punk rock music and it's the same conversations there. And it's just like, you're just changing one uniform for another, mm-hmm. right? You don't know, you know, or the, the conversation, like, I think Jill Biafra talks about that. He said this back in like 92, 93, he was like, he goes, I hate this stuff of people saying, well, you're not, uh, you're not vegan. So I don't think you're punk or, <laughs> you know, I don't. I'm not going to put, uh, I'm not going to put you in my zine because he's like, it's much, the, the quote that I love is he goes, it's much more important to argue of whether or not neurosis is more punk than screeching weasel than it is to band together and fight the fucking fascists of this country. And imagine yeah. him saying that in 1993 and here we are 30 years later and no one listened to him. Yeah. The most punk rock thing you could do is go to a punk rock show with a pair of boat shoes <laughs> and a, a, a polo shirt and a sweater tied around. That's the most individual guy in that place. Yeah. Versus everyone else wearing like, you know, the 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 appropriate leather jackets and the exploited uh, patches and all that kind of stuff. It's like you're wearing that stuff now. I mean, obviously I'm biased, but you know, Matthew Lillard's a good friend. But in SLC Punk, he there's a whole scene where he literally does that. He's in a ball. He's like, you're wearing a sick. You weren't even alive when that record come out. What? Who are you trying to impress? Who are you trying right. to convince yourself? Yeah, so it's, it's the like same conforming thing. to nonconformist yeah. ideals as opposed to being an actual nonconformist. The most radical thing that any any improvise improv team could do in Los Angeles right now is go out on stage wearing shirts and ties and dresses like they were in the Second City of Chicago in the nineties and do a just a just a rigid herald of like nope, there's an organic opening and we're gonna have a we're gonna have a piano player. We're doing the whole thing. And everyone would be like, "This is crazy. I've never seen anything like this before." I'm like, "Yeah, that used to be like." every wednesday man <laughs> yeah it's so. it's like it is a beautiful art form that has a beautiful history to it and mm-hmm. we can like pick a up young history things. a very young history yeah right right because like like you were saying some of these forms are only 30 years old but then also mm-hmm. like in the 90s it was like the super nerds who like the super improv nerds who were doing it it wasn't mm-hmm. something that people in your office knew about, but now, like, no, yeah, it's, so it's many people enough. know about it. Mm-hmm. But that hasn't been that is there's that hasn't been a long time that everyone mm-hmm. has had an experience with improv. That's like a ten year old thing, maybe yeah. fifteen year old thing. We're not at the point yet where people are just like, oh, let's go to a dinner and a show, and that show is improv. The way that you would go to be, uh, we would go to a play the theater, or yeah. you would go to a stand-up night, and, you know, right. the comedy cellar or something like that. We, or what are you, what are you guys going to do? Well, I'm going on a date with this new person. Oh, good. good. Yeah. We're kind of vibing. What are you doing? It's like, well, we're going to get ice cream. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. And then uh, there's this <laughs> band that she really likes that's playing us. So we're going to go see that. That happens all the time. Yeah. We're not at the point yet. Uh, yeah, we're a lot more ubiquitous, a lot more people, uh, regulars, mm-hmm. the straights, the normies know what improv <laughs> is, you know, the, the the unhip masses. But at the same time, there's not a ton it's, of it's people. A, yeah, hasn't been a long time of it. <laughs> yeah, it's having it be as it. A lot of people, too, where I get where I run to the purity tests and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, we need to put our improv shows up against other acts like mute like live bands and mm-hmm. sketch and like we need to stand up and care we need to 
we need to share the stage with those people so that people watching can conflate the two. Mm -hmm. We also probably need to hire the standards of not gatekeeping, not mm -hmm. any of, uh, of that problematic or gross shit, but like we do need to sort of raise the standard. We're a little bit too low on what we allow to be in front of a stage for um, a paying public. Right. And then yeah. wonder why we don't have the respect because they don't know that there's a difference between TJ and Dave and then these people who are doing a level three grad show. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Like if there was a group, I, I've done it in several groups. I've been on groups and I've directed groups that have done this. When I first got my first, my real team, I was on a cage match team that we kind of threw together, but my first real team was directed by Miles Stroth. We were doing the deconstruction. There's 11 of us, which is a lot of people traditionally mm -hmm. for a, a lot of team. It was called the Happy Time Rainbow Bunny Squads. And one of his rules, because we were bringing him out of retirement to, to, to coach. Mm -hmm. He's like, I don't do it anymore. Teams break up too soon. That's before the even the good work gets done. And so he gave us a couple of rules of what we would do, what we would do for him to agree to come out of coaching retirement. And one of those was I decide when you when you're when you're ready to go on stage and do a show. If I'm gonna put my name on this mm -hmm. as your director. My name's going to be on the poster. It's going to be worthy of that. I'm not going to let you guys sell that. If you book a show behind my back and don't tell me, that, then we're done. We were like, cool. Eight to nine months, two nights a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 to midnight in Studio 2 at iOS. We did that for nine months before we did our first show. And he was like, all right, you guys are ready. You can handle yourself. And we did. We did a great decon, which is not an easy form. It wasn't yeah. a montage or a mono scene. You know, it wasn't a herald. And then we went out there and I still remember it 20 years later. Um, it was uh, the, the suggestion was quote the Raven nevermore. It was me and Zach Krebs, no relation to uh, Aaron Krebs. We were, on, we were in the opening scene. I was like, quote the Raven nevermore. Raven, Baltimore Ravens, Ray Lewis. Ray Lewis stabbed a guy and got away with it. I can't help you, Ray. And then he went, Ray, Raymond, everybody loves Raymond. Robert, his brother, his brother's a cop. You got to help me, Robert. And that was it. I was his brother. He was my uh, screw up younger brother that mm -hmm. had, was working. It was a, a recovering addict, was dishwashing in a restaurant and we're standing in the kitchen where he has stabbed his manager to death. And now I've got to decide whether I'm going to be his brother first or a cop first. And then based on, I can't remember what the thematic scenes were, but based on what they were, the next time we came together, the next opening scene did the old like hand, you know, phone between the glass like, <laughs> hey how you doing in there kid i turned him in right and we went the whole way through in the very final scene we went back in time which is your want to do in deconstruction we went back in time i'm 18 he's 15 our parents died in a car accident i'm helping we're brushing our teeth and he goes to brush his teeth i'm like aha i stuck your toothbrush up my ass and now you've got you know you now you've got in your mouth you like starts breaking down crying and then and i i build him back up and then it's revealed that our parents died in a crash i've been made his legal guardian so that we don't get split up and he doesn't get sent to a home the very last line of that show is me going i promise you for the rest of your life no matter what happens I'm always going to take care of you lights, which I didn't, I sent him to prison where he was getting yeah. beat up and, you know, and assaulted all day and everything. That was my very first improv show. I earned that. That is wow. nine bands will stay in their basement, working on a bunch of originals, some curated cover songs that show like what their influences were, or what they like. And they'll do that for eight to nine months until they get that set down before they try and go play their first gig. And I'm not talking about battle of the bands, or I'm not mm -hmm. talking about open mic nights. That stuff is available for improv too. But when it comes to paying customers, we do not put the level of effort into that on a consistent enough basis. And then we wonder why there's not 10 improv theaters in every town in America. Mm -hmm.
Right. But we act like, but we act like it is. There's a lot of entitlement when it comes to like, oh, we should have stage time. Oh, we should have the best nights. Oh, we should have a bunch of people, and people should just come. I shouldn't have to promote and market my show. <laughs> like you absolutely should promote and market your show. Yeah. <laughs> like how, how do you think anything? El- <laughs> yeah, a guy finally. I think you know painters spend a long time and do work on their craft and do a lots and lots of work on their art before they ever work before they're ever at a level where whether or not someone allows them because then again there's gatekeeping there's racism there's sexism there's misogyny there's xenophobia all that kind of stuff but i'm mm-hmm. saying where their art is undeniably worthy of a showing at a gallery mm-hmm. a gallery open right and then they mm-hmm. tell everybody about that and it's a big deal it makes it happen same thing with bands where you become so undeniable same thing with you know stand-ups there are guys who are huge stand-up acts touring acts before they ever get into the public because they earned it your kevin hart's mm-hmm. your nate bargatzi's you know whoever else you want to bring right. up just justin johnson is a guy i love right now that guy's killing it i can't keep him out of my feed <laughs> how much he's gonna he's the next guy that's sort of gonna break out um uh, i don't think we do enough of that in improv and somehow it's become this sort of like unspoken rule that we're not required because we're making stuff up that we're not required to spend money, time, and effort, and talent, and honing our craft before we expect people to lay out hard-earned money for it, and then wonder why there's only six fucking people in the crowd. Yeah, I think a lot of people are looking at it as, well, this is just a fun thing I'm doing, you know, and it's like, okay, but people are paying to see you. Yeah, (laughs) don't do it there then. If it's just a fun thing you're doing, why are you going through the hassle of renting out a theater, or paying, you know, rent to a, a Hey, can we get this slot? All right. Well, it's $125 for the Mm -hmm. hour. If you want to split it, that makes it easier. Everything over the 125, there's a 60, 40 split with the box office, or you get, you get to keep all of it as long as you pay the rent, all that kind of stuff. I'm like, why are you bothering to do that when you could just have a house party? Just have, (laughs) just have three groups or four groups. (laughs) We talked about this last time. Yeah. Cause like that would be so much easier (laughs) than some of the hoops that people are making themselves jump through. And it's like, yeah, okay, you, but like you're you're now like sitting back like the fat cat with the spoils of victory of having gotten on a house team. But actually, you should be looking at it as this is a responsibility to the stage to actually take it seriously, not and not in a so serious that I'm not having fun and that it's not mm-hmm. funny, but serious and that you're being responsible for it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah and, uh, and I know. I get the people who don't want to have the serious conversations like, oh, it's just improv. It's just like, let's have fun. And it's like, yeah, but it's also. Okay why do you need a stage? Why Why do you have to have a stage then? <laughs> why are you entitled to stage and paying customers if you're just doing it for fun? Just do it for fun then. Don't bring yeah. commerce into it at all. <laughs> you won't have cranky old assholes like me yelling at you. <laughs> it's it's a controversial take but i i will not disagree with it because i Game. i i was inspired when i first saw long form improv and Game. i kept being inspired by it and when i saw people like theater 99 and you and all these different mm-hmm. people and magnet people mm-hmm. i was i continued to be inspired and have passion about it and yeah. so when it when it gets to a point where it's like, oh, I don't feel like in this space I can have that passion or I, I can't focus on it that way because I have to focus on like, you know, what is the uh, 
game of the scene or whatever. Not I'm not, not trying to knock UCB. I'm just saying no, like, no. whatever it is that the coach is saying, like, do this. <laughs> then I feel like I can't explore the artistic side of it like I yeah. want to. And um, I feel bogged down sometimes because I want to. And, and and sometimes it's like, sometimes I think about, I was like, I want to do stuff like, I, w- I wish I was as great as Dave Pisquazi, like TJ and Dave, that's so inspiring mm-hmm. to me. And then I remind myself, they're doing an hour long set. My house team is doing a 22 minute set. So maybe that's a little bit of a difference. <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's almost like different mediums, right? But also yeah. I still want to be there and be present and it feel real and me still exploring, even if it is at a faster pace of uh, finding the game and finding the pattern and playing it, uh, I still want it to have realness to it. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I find myself having a hard time doing that when I have to go, oh, wait, um, I'm getting notes on not being clear enough. And I, sure. I definitely wasn't clear enough, but at the same time, that wasn't an unsuccessful scene. And I feel like what I'm being noted on is taking me in a direction that's different than what I want out of, out of like performance. So I'm trying to meld the two and I'm mm. struggling at that. Yeah. Uh, it's funny you bring up TJ and Dave, cause I was just with them in, uh, in Krakow, Poland. I got oh, to see wow. them from, the, yeah, I got to see them from the sideline. It's been a long time since I was able to sit down and like, Sit in the person. wings and just yeah. sit in the wings, see him in person, but also just really delve in and be like, "All right, I see where you're doing that." Mm-hmm. But there was a time when me and Miles uh, and and PJ and Pete Gross were we were all doing a show at the Phoenix Improv Festival, and oh, so cool. afterwards they were hanging out, and I was just like listening to both of them talk, and it was it was a great thing because you know Miles was like, "Oh, I want the first thirty seconds to kind of know what's going on. I want to be able to build it so that we know how to play and patterns and that." And then, uh, and TJ was like, yeah, I'm, I'm concerned with the first 30 seconds after the first five minutes, right? That kind of thing. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That what, what blew my mind and made me get up after 45 minutes and walk away was like, <laughs> TJ was like, well, Miles, you're talking about math and I'm talking about colors. And I was like, I gotta walk away. It just blew my mind. Wow. But, oh, I wish I when, was there for that conversation. Oh, dude. Cause that is, dude, it, it I think incredible. I'm leaning more towards, uh, but what is that first 30 seconds after the first five minutes about? Like, I, yeah. Well, and, and then Miles, uh, Miles. I mean, it was so great. And everyone who walked by watching me listen to the two of them talk shop, they're like, you dork, you improv nerd. <laughs> and of course, through the rest of the night, they never moved. But the people that were sitting in my chair rotated, <laughs> like everyone <laughs> taking their turns. And a lot of the people that yelled at me, I came back by. I was like, oh, so you're now. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> but yeah, when, when TJ said that, it just made me laugh because when you, when you brought it up, because when TJ... TJ was like, well, I want the first, I'm worried about the first 30 seconds after the first five minutes. And then Miles, playfully, but only half joking, he was like, yeah, but you get a full hour and you get to play with Pasquazi. Not all of us are as lucky, TJ. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, look, he's got you there. I mean, you're also a god. But yeah, we, no, one's coming to, no one's coming to tag you out. And you have a guy you're playing with who has literally been there since the beginning. I have old yeah. footage in that all improv plus YouTube playlist. I've got footage of like a local local news station in Chicago doing a story about IO and you see a like a brand new theater that Del Close has opened now. He's left Second City. He's with his business partner, Sharna Halpern. And it's just like in a class. There's literally impossibly young Dave Pasquazi mm-hmm. and like 
a level one improv class. I was like, that guy has literally been there no. since day one. Yeah. We're not all as lucky as you are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think about that, but also I think that we have to be in fairness, as I'm like, you got to be more innovative and all that. In fairness, too, we have to remember that it is a different world now where lots of people, I'm feeling it too, lots of people do not have the leisure time anymore to be able mm. to work on their craft to come up with a brand new form mm. work on it for eight to nine months and then never see a stage I, i'm aware of that you know it's not it's yeah. you know the median the median income is you know like something like crazy like 1900 dollars a month but or like the median rent is 1900 dollars a month and the median salary uh, the medium salary is thirty one thousand dollars a year it's impossible it's impossible yeah. Yeah. to have what you and I had when we were getting started, having affordable housing, working jobs that maybe didn't pay a ton of money, but enough that left you comfortable and stable enough to have the leisure hours to choose what you wanted to do and what to be able to work on your craft. The reason why most guitar players are great young is because in, in elementary school, <laughs> middle school and high school, when they didn't have to have a job, they yeah. could sit in their house for eight hours and run scales. Right. It's why, why and it's I'll... it's even in a maybe <laughs> you know in a in a more new agey sort of way all the people on TikTok are young for a reason cuz they have so yeah. much time on their hands to yeah. figure out how to edit and do all that stuff on there and then then the rest of us find out about it. <laughs> yeah. Like, we were trying to get jobs and pay for rent. You guys were just uh, at your mom's house. Yeah, also too like I don't know you know, it's a lot easier. I mean, it's hard to tell a young person, hey, spend eight to nine months working on your craft for this very mm -hmm. niche art form that you're going to play in front of people that are about <laughs> two-thirds two just other people waiting to get up and do their right. show. Right, and especially or, because Beethoven grew up the way he grew up, yeah. Yeah, or go on Twitch, start a streaming live streaming channel, or go on TikTok and yeah. do whatever comedy you want and get that immediate feedback, get mm -hmm. that sort of like from it and then potentially become famous and get paid a lot. Like I have a friend who know is great sketch comedian, great actress. I think she's a good improviser too. I don't know if she would think that uh, or not. I've never talked to her about it. Mm -hmm. uh, she's, you know, she's famous on, uh, on Instagram and TikTok and has like over a million followers and she gets paid like branded, like she like eats food and people go, Oh, that's great. So yeah, if she's getting paid twenty five hundred dollars to like eat this particular brand of food for four for fourteen seconds. <laughs> why would she like? Unless she really loves the art form and she wants to like, I right. I can also see there being um, a youthful movement away from live performance, especially since a lot of those people maybe came of age during where nobody could go anywhere, and right. online is the only way you could do yeah. your craft. So. Yeah, I say? hope it doesn't go away, you know, and of course, there's always concern about it because of, you know, it's happened a lot where it was like, oh, the comedy bubble's going to burst. And then it just didn't. Yeah. And it just, <laughs> it just, yeah, like, I, think, expanded, I think so Liz, Liz said this a couple of years ago. She sends her love, by the way. Oh, tell us. Uh, yeah, uh, Liz, um, Liz said this a couple of years ago, obviously, when I was like, ranting on my own <laughs> as i as i am sometimes want to do i'm like hey we need to keep it alive uh she 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 put it really best i thought was really interesting she was just like improv will never go away 
improv will come back. Do not worry about this pandemic. Don't worry about that. And she was like, I know it's sad right now. Theaters are closing. People are leaving. People are moving out of Los Angeles because they can't afford it anymore. Whatever it is. She was like, improv will come back. It'll just be smaller and different. And yeah. that's just where, that's what I've been focusing on of like, more small curated things, each one of them having their own unique thing, not being a monolith. The mm-hmm. days of the improv as the institution is over. Second City is owned by venture capitalists. Yeah. IO is owned by real estate guys. And, uh, and, uh, and, the, and the venture UCB capitalists is a man- at UCB, right? Yeah, UC- yeah UCB is a management uh, team. So oh, okay. it's a lot of, yeah. So it's a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, but we can have... I, I've decided that I've looked, I want to look at that as a positive, you know, yes and silver lining. It's like, all right, it's going to be smaller and different, but that just means we can have hundreds of more smallers versus one monolith in each place that's sort of like, you know, you either do this or you don't, right? I was yeah. talking to Jeff Hawkins the other day, and we were talking about uh, he, he saw Under Siege for the first time. Uh, the movie with you know <laughs> yeah 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 um, and he was just like tommy lee jones he was like he was like tommy lee jones in under siege is absolutely a, a brian o'connell character like he posted it <laughs> on twitter and i was like yeah i was like you know what low-key i mean like you think of two-face the character from under siege the warden from natural born killers tommy lee jones is a low-key groundlings guy big in a wig <laughs> you know <laughs> He looked right in Gary Busey's face and says, "Top this <laughs> ballsy move." Ballsy. What advice would you give me in this headspace where I, I, and I'm, I'm somewhat talking myself down from this, uh, uh space, this headspace I'm in, but, um, because I am saying like, well, look, you know, like you can still, uh, get grounded right at the beginning and still do the like whatever primacy thing that, mm-hmm. <laughs> that your coach is telling you to do. Cause I don't disagree with my coach, mm-hmm. my current coach. Like I, I, he's brilliant actually. He's right about what the notes he's mm-hmm. giving my, my team. Right. But my headspace is, I feel like I've gotten away from being grounded and present and the notes that we are getting, I, I think are the right notes, but they're not about being grounded and present. So it I'm, it it makes me go like oh, I'm trying to focus on this other thing though. How do I do both? <laughs> like does one kill the other? I don't think so. But what do you say? Yeah, it's it's tough because the first thing is like, well, we've agreed to do this type of work. I'm on this type of team. Right. This is we all we all pay this coach, and right? And that's fired this coach, an important thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That means we've agreed to do this type of work, and that's right. why I like to call them, you know it's that's closer to a director than a coach because you know the, the different languages coaching teaching and, and directing has different language coaching is i love i love this i would love to see you do more of this coach is the employee of the group mm-hmm. teaching is i need i need to see you to know to, just to know that you do you don't have to do this ever again you, this doesn't have to be the type of improv you do but i need to see you know how to do it so i can pass you on to the next mm-hmm. people and and i put you in positions succeed and then i and directing as i want I want to see this this type of work we are and you agree to it. So, mm-hmm. but then at the same time, like, yeah, you have to be creatively fulfilled inside of those parameters. Right. Uh, I think for me, just off the top of my head, and since you, since you asked, you use the word advice. So I'm going <laughs> to ask for it. I would say is then you find the game as quick as you can find the first odd or unusual thing, which is a very, you know, game-based UCB style position play is, you know, logical, absurd. That's what we call it out mm-hmm. here. Uh, with with miles and all that mm-hmm. but um 
I find that realistic scenes and logical absurd scenes have the most in common because there's at least one person being real. There's one right. person being themselves. Mm-hmm. So what I would do is then I would, I would choose to find the game as quickly as we can. So, you know, first back off the step, you back off the game or wrestling game, whatever you want to call it. The first one of those establishes the game. The second one of those establishes the pattern of that game. The third one of those establishes the pattern that only Jason Farr or BOC could do because you're the only we're the only two of us in the world. Mm-hmm. The faster you can find that game, that means you can put more heart and creativity in your back offs, where it's just like, I'm sorry, man. I didn't I mean I didn't mean to fuck watermelons on your front yard. Can I can can I be honest with you? I'm hurting. My wife left me. I don't know what's going on anymore you can add those elements of heart we're gonna because yeah. empathy is a great way to get people on your side everyone goes that your partner goes oh man i'm sorry yeah or the audience is like the audience is like oh that's really bad. right cool so if i put a sheet over myself <laughs> can, I, can i keep fucking these watermelons <laughs> so in the back off you can you can be real and you can bring that stuff in uh-huh. so you can satisfy you can satisfy yourself creatively you can do the things that you find to be interesting, but still still serve the master that is asking for, you know, game, which is your the agreed upon mm-hmm. frame. I don't mean your teacher or your coach or your director. I mean the framing device that we've all agreed to that this is the type of work we're gonna do. So note mm-hmm. taken, I'll find the game more, but also I'm gonna be like, all right, so when I back off this game, I've given you the game. So I'm doing it. Yeah. But it's <laughs> But I like, for me, as you well know, like I love to create dark joy. So my back offs are going to just be like, I'm sorry. It's, it's, I know this is going to sound crazy. It's fucking watermelon on your front yard is 113th on my bucket list. I have stage four pancreatic cancer. I need this, man. But why, why fucking a, a watermelon on my, to, are you, it's, I'm a, this is like a dying man's last wish. I could die tomorrow. Please, I, 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 can you at least do it in the backyard? Great. If it's in your backyard, rule number one hundred fourteen. Do you have a pony? No. Get out of here, man. Right? Yeah, I can, yeah. That's the thing that I learned from Miles, which you can always back off and be like, oh, oh, oh my cancer. <laughs> right. So yeah, that's that's what I would do. Like, if you want creative, yeah. grounded, honest stuff. But someone's asking you to do game. Well, great. The back office is a great place to do that, where you could be a victim, you could be wounded, mm-hmm. you can prey upon the logical positions. You know, mm-hmm. need to sort of feel empathy or feel bad. That's why I always love uh, Ian Roberts, uh, his straight man <laughs> character. He's got two. One is a guy that can't deal with a person that's crying. Oh, come on, don't be like that, please. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then another guy is the guy who can like barely contain his rage through his teeth. He's like. I'm- I have an original 35 millimeter print Star Wars. I'm going to bring it in tomorrow. I'm going to prove to you that you didn't have the titular line, right? So, so he can he can flow through those where it's just like, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I didn't I didn't know you had cancer. That's right. No, you can't fuck watermelons on my goddamn yard. Get out of here, right? Yeah. It's 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 easy, right? So that would be my that would be my That's a, advice. You know, the the advice my coach is giving is, or Zave is giving is to, at the top of a scene, just be like real specific about what's going on and what the thing is. It's not even necessarily like play the game, but it is like, don't spend so much time figuring out what the scene is about. Like, yeah, do it right off, off, off the top of the scene. And of course, there are plenty of examples everyone can give of people who take their time finding out what the scene is about that sort of speaks yeah. to like uh, you know the uh, the first 30 seconds after the first five minutes 
uh, mm-hmm. or five minutes into the set, you know, like that, that is sort of that thing of like, let's see <laughs> what's going on here. But I understand the need for directness. Like I even just watched this Paley Center. This is <laughs> my fiance's out of town for her bachelorette weekend. And what did I watch tonight? A Paley Center discussion with Amber Ruffin and Seth Meyers. <laughs> like that. Does this guy, does this guy know how to party or what? <laughs> like, baby, I'll never cheat on you unless it's with improv. <laughs> oh my god, it is. I, I, I love the idea that your fiance is on her bachelorette party weekend. One of her friends who probably has no clue is like, so like, do you like you trust him, right? Like, oh, he would never cheat on me. No, look at this. You know what he's doing right now? He's watching a pillow like he he knows Amber. He's met her. <laughs> it's not it's, he knows what she thinks. It's a he watches Seth Myers every night. That's why he's gonna <laughs> So the idea of like, oh, okay, well, yeah, then he, you should marry him then. There's no, no chance. <laughs> but the two of them were talking about being in Boom Chicago and like when they're in Amsterdam, when they were in Amsterdam doing improv, like they learned you had to get you had to in that first line really like lay out what the thing was and then you could play around with it. And there are times where that's so necessary. And I I can see how if a team is getting a little too loose, how they might need to rein it in by like, all right, let's just go back to that, like being real specific at the top of a scene. Yeah. Here's another thing, too, because I don't believe in any such thing as cheating and improv. If it works, it works. The only way it could be possibly considered cheating if you wrote it out ahead of time and then it would become scripted, it would cease to be improv. So hence, there's no such thing as cheating and improv. Right. I would I would say then, especially for just for in the interim, while you're sort of struggling with that, just be the second person out. Let the first person come out on stage and like lay it all out. So that way you're like, look, man, you tell me and then <laughs> just go. All right. So I'm doing it. <laughs> but I'm taking the pressure off of myself to have to in, in, uh, invent, yeah. create it, invent mm-hmm. the premise. You know, they gave me the premise, and you know, you know, and Zave may not even uh, may not even recognize you're doing it first. Like Jason, great way to go. see. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Like, yeah, I didn't start that scene. <laughs> they did, and then I just went, "You got it." <laughs> also, that's- too, like there's no, there's no, there's no hammer big enough to hit a nail over the head and improv or i could just like my example i gave was just like i people listening to this are going to be like i started with the line i've been fucking watermelons on your front yard <laughs> and then i went through it and then the back and forth the game and sort of you know just gave it as an example people are listening to this right now are going wait a minute why is that the initiation that is not a that's not a thank you so much for agreeing to meet me here type of like, i've been looking at your resume but it worked yeah, I, I played the part of it, right? So <laughs> there's no if I if I start off like, well, if it isn't the president of Zimbabwe, Professor Silly Pants, my arch nemesis, <laughs> like, okay, I gave you everything I could possibly gave you. Uh, it's a little pimpish, but I didn't say like who only speaks in riddles, <laughs> right? Like, right? I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I i painted you i gave i made you smart now that if i got pushed back from a coach like okay boc so second beat you uh seen you know first beats of the herald scene uh 2a you came out your opening line was oh if isn't the president of zimbabwe <laughs> professor silly pants my arch nemesis i'm like look I, I made him edu- I made him at the top of his intelligence. I made him a president. I made him a professor. <laughs> and I shared what our history was together. <laughs> I, what our relationship is. I 
Oh, I checked off all your little boxes, right? <laughs> so yeah, if you want to go too, if you want to go too far the other side too, give him that. <laughs> Big premise. I hope he doesn't gate. hear this, so so I can spring this all on him. <laughs> um, well, I'm made out of basket weavings. How's it going? Is this the place to order a Burger King sandwich? <laughs> there you go. You did it. Did what he asked for. <laughs> We talked for an hour and I still want to talk about like we have to go, but I feel like I, I also want to know what you got going on. You got some projects in the works, yeah. right? Like, yeah. Kind of so uh, again, just sort of based on my teaching and sort of uh, I like to try and put my money where my mouth is. So I, you hear me say that we need to evolve the work. I also believe that that means we have to evolve how we teach the work. We say that all the time as teachers and coaches and directors of like, you got to evolve your craft. You got to work on it. Like, well, then I should be pointing that mirror back at myself. So I have a, I have an all improv boot camp that I do. Cause I've heard from a lot of people that say, I'd love to take a class, but I don't live in the town that you live in, or I'd love to take a class, but it's really hard for me to be able to commit to even four weeks at the same time because life is so right. fluid now right so i go okay and there's certain people too that like work at night right who mm -hmm. have you know who wait tables or bartend or whatever so i just finished this i'll do boot camps like maybe two every two or three months where it's like three hours in the morning three hours in the afternoon it's you know it's a hundred bucks if you get tons of stuff that we're gonna work on I curate the class. You tell me what you want to work on and I'll curate the class to make sure we're covering that kind of stuff. You tell me ahead of time. I keep it very small, 10 people max per class. And you can take Friday, you can take Saturday, you can take Sunday. You tell me, right? Okay. So I just did one of those. Nice. I'm changing it up a little bit again in April. I'm probably going to do Tuesday nights. It's, I'm calling it uh, BOC a la carte. Five <laughs> weeks, Tuesday nights from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m., Pacific time time. So even people in New York can like, all right, you don't have to stay up too late. And the first one is free. It's a Q&A. So I can just talk to people and, and answer questions. And if you never pay me a dime, that's fine. But also reverse of that, it's an easy way for people to find out. So if I take this class, what's that about, right? Mm -hmm. The first week is this. The second week is this. The third week is this. The fourth week is this. It's 50 bucks for one class, 75 for two, uh, 100 for three. 150 for four you're always it's the more class you signed up for the more of a discount you're gonna get mm -hmm. first because again at the end of the day i make a nice little chunk of change but also i'm meeting you where you live mm -hmm. uh can i do like can i pay 75 bucks and have week one and week three like yeah what, whatever you want to do that's what all the cart means <laughs> so part of that too is like i do travel a lot now part of that is because it's uh it's income that i need while i knew the strikes were going to take a long time and i knew yeah. the income Mm -hmm. you get ahead of that but also i knew it was going to take a lot of time for the industry to sort of get back up on its feet everybody's right. trying to rush and make things but no one's taking any meetings like the grammys are tonight while we were recording yeah. this yeah shoving a, the entire <laughs> award season into a two-month period yeah i don't think any of us were ready for like oh god no. that takes so much work <laughs> you don't have yeah. time to make movies yet <clears throat> the so, emmy's right at a week after the golden globes it was like yeah, there are no surprises so, here in the tv section <laughs> Yeah. So a lot of that stuff too is me going around and traveling all these places and then also meeting people, especially if it's like a festival or something like we'd love to bring you to our town, but we're a very small community. We can't afford people. And I go, okay, yes. And how do I, how do I support <laughs> that? How do I, how do I pitch positive? You mm -hmm. know, uh, you know, which I learned from Karen Gracchi, uh, via, via Kay Cannon, you know, it's her, 
You just can't offer that you don't like something in a writer's room. You also have to pitch positive. You have to offer a potential solution, right? Nice. It's not enough to say, I don't think that works. Okay, well, what works better? Like, you know, so what I did is uh, right now I'm working with Highwire uh, Improv. Again, I'm on their board. It's a nonprofit. I'm very, I'm very lucky to be, uh, I wanted a new challenge because Camp Improv Utopia kind of runs itself now. It's, uh, we have lots of great people. It doesn't need my sort of day in, day out sort of, Right. So they were looking for new board members. I applied. I agree with a lot of their stuff. Obviously, I think they're doing all the things for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. And so I just came up with this idea. And then once Barry Wright, uh, who's our who's our president of the board, found out about it, he was like, can we do that as like a high wire thing? Can we support you? And I was like, yeah, I was just going to try to do this on my own. But that's great. So I'm tentatively calling it a Rust Belt tour. I'm trying to go hit. I'm trying to start in uh, on the East Coast and make my way across to the Midwest. The idea came from, so like Greg Ginn and SST Records, which is Greg Ginn started Black Flag and mm -hmm. SST Records, which, you know, the Minutemen, the Descendants and all that. When Black Flag was on the road, there were no punk rock clubs because their music was too young. And mm -hmm. so they they would just play anywhere. They just carved, they got in the van and carved out a path that, then, oh, wow. and yeah, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years later, that is now a touring cycle that punk rock bands can use because they would like Henry Rollins, but he was like, we would play in some kid's parents' basement. He was 16 years old. And five years later, he's a 21 year old rock club promoter because that's where he got his experience. Mm. I want to see this band. There's no place for them to play. F it. I'll do it. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what I'm trying to do. So I've got a couple different theaters right now, Harrisburg improv theater in Pennsylvania. I'm going to start in Rochester with a different gig with my boy, Tommy Bechtold up there at Carlson uh, comedy at Carlson's. But I'm gonna, the idea is to go to Harrisburg, Baltimore, and do Highwire and big, big uh, Baltimore improv group, uh, Go Comedy in Detroit, Imposters in Cleveland, run by my boy Michael Bush. And so, if the big cost, the financial cost, is the burden to get a guest star to come out or a guest artist to come out, well, if I can get five, six, seven, I reached out to 41 theaters from Pennsylvania wow. all the way to Wisconsin and said, "Here's this idea. The pitch is." If all of you are splitting a plane ticket, a one-way ticket for wherever I start and a one-way ticket back to L.A. from wherever I end, if all of you are spreading that ticket and I'm willing to be flexible of saying, hey, someone can take the class for free in exchange, they drive me two hours to the next city, or someone has a, a spare room that they use as an Airbnb, they give that to me and they can take the class for free, for sure. Here's all mm -hmm. the stuff I can teach. Let's talk to you know local universities in town. If I'm already going to be there, maybe we can get them to give me some money or put up a stipend for if they have on-campus housing. And I'll teach a screenwriting class mm -hmm. or I'll do a, a screening of Blood Sucking Bastards and a Q&A, whatever nice. it is. Yeah, and sort of, work, sort of work it that way. And then I'm trying to do – that's going to happen in March and April. Uh, and then I'm going to try and do one in May and June in Europe. Right now, uh, I have interest from theaters in Vienna. Zurich and uh, Athens, Greece. Um, I have friends. Obviously, we have a lot of friends in the UK and Ireland. Once, mm -hmm. uh, once I get a couple of those in Europe to say yes, I got. Then I'll go to them and be like, "Hey, Katie, shoot, Maydays, do you want me to come in? Hey, Derek Miller, hey Neil Curran, can I come and do something in Dublin? Hey, there's a, I think there's another place now in Galway. Can I do that? I know of some people in Paris. I know of some people in Berlin. So if I could just make my way through that way, then and again. Let me crash somewhere. Let me really make this base minimum so I don't come home broke. But like, mm -hmm. uh, it's profit, but it's not profit driven. It's about helping as many people and connecting. And it's the same argument. Like, yeah, it's expensive to fly me from the States to Europe. 
But if there's eight theaters, I'm trying to get into Barcelona Improv Group as well. There's two bigs, Barcelona, Barcelona Improv Group and Baltimore Improv Group, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> if I can get eight of them to split the financial burden, well, then that's a lot more doable for these smaller yeah. markets. And then, I, you know, raising up. And then I, I think two of my, my greatest hope for that is that we prove up the concept and then they just do that for the next person. Then they're bringing out someone like, you know, not only are they bring out bigger and bigger names, but they're also being able to take a chance on more diverse names yeah. and say like, Hey, who do you want? I was like, well, if you love me, I'll rent you a Carter. Right. It's just as good as I am at all the improv stuff. And also she's having a better career right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if I can create this sort of like European, you know, European festival circuits, you know, like the way a, a rock band would do or a rust belt circuit. And then I do one in the Southeast and I want to do in the Northwest then that means that there are people behind me, just like, you know, Bleak 182 followed those Black Flag club dates that they carved out of stone. That means it's something that's accessible, but also means it's um, sustainable. So yeah. that I will know that I have done my part for King and Country when it comes to like improv. It's just like, how did you guys even start doing it? Yeah, this, this is like the, what is it? I think this is like the 13th guest artist we've brought in with the Rust Belt Initiative. Who started that? Oh, BOC. It was his, it was his crazy idea, but it worked out really well. That was 2024. It's 2038. Yeah, we're still doing it. Like that would be, would be my dream. And so those are the sort of things I'm doing right now, just not only because I need income. Uh, and the industry is kind of weird and changing uh, right now, but yeah. also uh, it's the one thing I feel like I can do where I'm also doing something that is creative, but also morally and ethically, um, you know, as, as one of my mentors, William Buck, God rest his soul, RIP, uh, once told me, uh, gave me a great piece of advice. He said, Brian, it's an old Arkansas line producer. That's how he talks. <laughs> he was like, Brian, you only get one line on your tombstone and you don't get to write it. What do you want it to say? <laughs> so he told me that when I was 19 years old I was like if I can do these little things I can prove it up and get these little theaters to have relationships and work together so that Indianapolis and Detroit and Toledo and Cleveland and Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and Harrisburg and Madison can have just like yeah we'll, we'll keep that date open and they can just pipeline other people through people that need you know like your Joey Cliffs and your Alrenthia Carters and your Jessica Lees and all that kind of stuff where they're they're able to take chances on newer talent and bigger talent simultaneously because they have spread the financial burden in such a way that it doesn't that it's no longer inaccessible or potentially ruinous that's what i got i love it always inspiring to get a chat in with you thanks for being thank on, you bro. sir thank you always i can't believe it's it's fourth and again I, I i must put you are really doing the lord's work I don't know if I could do 300 plus podcasts the way that you, again, those, if, if people haven't, if, I mean, if they're listening to this, obviously no, but I tell anybody who listen, I'm like, yeah, sign up for those, for those newsletters, man. It's like the way you have it set up and just, it's, it's invaluable the way that ends with the quote. And like, this is the dates for all the different festivals where it's clocking off like this, or this is where it's opening up. This is going to be like, Hey, the tip jar, all that kind of stuff. It's it's incredible, man. You're doing the Lord's work. Uh, it makes it forces me to up my game. I was like, all right, what's the next cool thing I'm going to start giving? Oh voice? dang! Well, I mean, like, I got to keep, keep up with Jason. <laughs> that, that means a lot because I was hearing you say that. I was like, oh, I got to keep up with uh, having innovative ideas. This is brilliant what you've got going here. Thank you. Trying, <laughs> man. Trying. As always, a really great chat. Thoroughly enjoyed that. Hope you did too. You can follow Brian on Twitter and Instagram at b3oc. 
We also have a link in the bio to the YouTube channel that he has. It has the all improv stuff in the playlist section. So definitely check that out. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at There It Is Pod and subscribe to our YouTube channel at There It Is and follow me on Twitter at Jason Fart Jokes and Instagram at Jason Fart Picks. And also subscribe to our comedy lifestyle and newsletter. Go to thereitispod.com for newsletter and support info. Links in bio. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. (laughs) 